0: Today's guest, Sebastian Schilling, Fractional CFO and COO for Post Series A Startups.
1: Let's look at the probably most basic financial KPI, revenue. Right? So depending on who you talk to in the company, if it's the data team, if it's the founder, if it's the salesperson, if it's the fp person and the accounting person, they might give you five different answers for what, what they consider to be revenue. Now, at some point, and and nobody likes to hear that post-series A, at at the end of the day, the accounting person is right. Because that is what your auditors, the the definition of revenue that your accounting person is going to give you uh, will be the one that your auditor is going to hold you accountable to. And your board isn't going to notice. They will they will swallow whatever revenue figure you give them. But when your audited revenues are 10% lower than what you've been reporting, you're in for a very unpleasant conversation. It's always one that can be explained. But at the end of the day, when you talk about revenue, the accountant is always right. Um, And it makes sense, therefore, to agree on a, on a definition of revenue between the data team, the FP&A team, the founders and the accounting team very early on and <laughs> take the number that the accountant wants. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't track other figures, right? Like um, gross bookings or uh, revenues before discounts, or sale, sales before discounts. But ultimately the revenue number should, what you call revenue, should be what, ends up um, on the top of your financial statements later on one mistake that i've seen people make is to hire really good individual contributors and promising them a management role 18 months from now and that would work in terms of your org chart but it might not work in terms of having that person Because that person's growth trajectory might just look incredibly different. And maybe 18 months from now, they still need another 12 months to grow into a leadership role. And then they shouldn't be in charge of a team. So my biggest advice would be very careful with making promises to uh, especially junior people that start uh, in terms of promising management roles. Sebastian
0: and I talked about the journey from a finance of a finance team from series A to Series D and how to grow a team and also certain processes like headcom planning, how it e- evolves. Um, so quite relevant for any CFO, founder that needs to build finance teams or recruiters, HR people, whoever that is um, has touch points with finance. Then you can build trust and then you can spend less time communicating and more time just getting shit done. Then I went home and and thought about this sentence. We basically put it on the table. Hiring takes time. People are trained. How to objectively judge certain situations. It's very, 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 very hard to change that. That was the learning.
1: Entrepreneurs with empathy. On the people side.
0: Oh, I'm really looking forward to this episode because Sebastian and we both worked together and it was always a pleasure. And now we are sitting here um, doing this episode. So maybe we start about, um,
1: w- with some context about you, um, and welcome to the show. Thanks, uh, Thomas. Uh, also, likewise, very happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Um, yeah, what, what do you want to talk about today? Yeah, maybe tell us a bit about your background first, and then we talk
0: about some finance topic topics, and also, um, I think, some topics between interactions over time in a company between finance and the people team. Um, but let, let's first... Give us some context about your journey.
1: Okay. Uh, so what I'm doing today is uh, I'm helping companies grow from Series A to Series D, basically building up um, their finance and their people functions internally. Um, so that's what I'm doing today. And uh, the last four and a half years, I've been uh, basically doing exactly that, a tax fix. Um, basically uh, building up the finance, uh, fp and and accounting functions, as well as the internal operations functions, consisting of internal IT, office management and people operations.
0: And b- before you joined Taxfix, you also did a lot of in- interim finance um, deals, right? Yes, yeah,
1: so I, I was um, was the CFO for Civi, a, um, a data uh, basically data advertising company based uh, based in Berlin. And before that, I've been working in various um, CFO, COO roles, uh, mostly interim.
0: Yeah, and uh, also um, in the Rocket Internet um, time, right? But there was we have a lot crossed of paths. <laughs> and uh how how did you get into finance
1: uh that's a good question because i'm actually a lawyer by training So i'm, I'm not really uh, in terms of in terms of academic background not not the most typical finance person um i also studied uh, economics which means uh, i have some i've had some exposure to <laughs> uh, to numbers which always helps um but uh yeah i've been mostly. Uh, when I started out my career, I've been I've been helping out founders with basically their entire paperwork, and that very soon became not only shareholder agreements um, and and board meetings, but also uh, business plans uh, and Excel models and spreadsheets. And um, yeah, then didn't take long until for some odd reason I was offered a CFO role.
0: Nice. <laughs> and when we now start um, maybe categorizing the journey of a finance department or finance as a function in a startup let's say from series a to series d Mm -hmm. Um, maybe we talk we, we go into each round and and you can give us some perspectives on what you think is important and also how you would define a certain stage in a company from a finance perspective
1: um, yeah, that's a very it's a very interesting topic. Uh, probably might even uh, go beyond the scope of the hour that we have together today <laughs> um, or half hour, right? Uh, yep. post production. Um, so we're basically talking about entirely different companies if 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 you're talking about a company post series a uh, versus a company post series C. so it's, um, they they don't really. Maybe it may have some overlap in terms of the people that work there, but um, and, and the name—that's that's about it. When you when you talk about finance and uh, and people functions, so once you so a lot of the groundwork is basically done by the founders before they even raise a round. Right. So the question is, is: Is a founder at all doing anything beyond the bare minimum, which is having a bank account? Um, so do you? as a founder, when it's just you in, in the beginning and maybe your assistant or, or whoever else you have, do you make sure that at the end of every month, every bank tra- transaction has some sort of record attached to it? Um, so that is, that is the first question. So if a founder hasn't done that, then the first thing you do post Series A is to clean up the past, which is a shame because you're not contributing, you're not delivering any value to the business. You're just making sure that you don't carry on management debt forever. Um, and th- that can easily cost you three months worth of your time. Um, so a lot of the groundwork is actually being done before. Um, if you if you join a company like Taxics was, where the, where the founders actually always were really, really keen on having meticulous finances uh, in place, um, then it's a bit easier because then you can basically start right away to, to adapt processes Um
0: what would be the, the groundwork?
1: The groundwork is basically just making sure you if you get a bank statement at the end of every month, and you make sure every line item on that bank statement has some record to it. Right, so it's not just the bank transaction, but there's actually a receipt, like an invoice, or somewhere so, in the Google Drive folder, for instance. Doesn't matter, right? Um, you don't even, yeah. If, if if you, it's enough if you just scan it, right? That's that's perfectly fine. Just have it and make sure you can you can retrieve it at some point. Um, and then if you send that off to an external tax advisor, which is what most startups do, um, and which is perfectly fine, um, then that usually takes care of everything pre-series A. So let's assume you come into a startup um, that's been doing that. Um, you come in on your first day, as you take a look, you see, okay, everything seems to be in order. There haven't been any, uh, any external audits yet, or if there have been any, if there weren't any findings um, you call up the tax advisor, they tell you everything's okay. And, and that's that usually gives you gives you enough comfort. So post-series A, um, why is post-series A so interesting? Because that's usually the round where um, investors invest a meaningful amount of money into your company.
0: Like plus and 5 million, plus 10 million? How would you that's, define
1: that? Let's say, so I, I define series A as um, you have some early proof points that there might be product market fit um and like you've built revenue?
0: first revenues google would say
1: uh yeah you would have to have first revenues i would say um and it depends i mean there are also some some apps for instance that are free right and then the, the uh but you have some traction at least right you, yeah. you have showcased that you can in principle invest money in marketing or sales channels and that is being that has some degree of results and promising results that will enable you at least on a spreadsheet uh, to build a profitable business case spending money getting more money back eventually <laughs> um, I'd, at I'd say some that's point the, in the future <laughs> at, at some point in the future right and that, that obviously how long that future is depends on the market it's much much shorter now than it was two years ago yeah. Um, but uh, yeah I would say that is that's how I would define a series A um Series B would then be, you've proven that that works at scale. So now an investor comes in and gives you even more money so you can increase the scale. And Series C, Series D, you basically leave the realm of venture capital and go into growth equity. Where it's uh, an investor really investing in the business as a whole and not just some acquisition channels.
0: In case you like my show, please subscribe. I would really appreciate it and at at some when would you recommend going for a debt round um, rather than going for equity funding
1: that really depends on both the business model the market um, and your maturity as a company so i think debt that is that is always a really good idea to have alongside a, uh, an equity round because it's non dilutive um, you're not giving away too many shares, which is great. Um, but definitely don't do debt just for runway extension when you when you when you're struggling with your with your fundamentals. Right? right? If, if you if you know that you're you're basically running out of cash and you add a debt round to extend your runway, then that's a really bad idea because you're because it's some boring happiness for tomorrow.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah I, I remember you said that also once when we worked together at Taxfix um it's also like dr- drinking right drinking is by bu- drinking is borrowing
1: happiness from tomorrow that's what it is
0: <laughs> <laughs> It's a nice example as is
1: letting your kids stay up late it's <laughs> the same thing <laughs> Okay so um
0: when, but how does the finance team look like in these different stages? So yeah. how would you set up a finance team in a Series A environment versus B, C, D?
1: Yeah, so um, you always have to square a circle a bit between hiring the people for the tasks that you need today but also already hiring the people that you need for tomorrow. So the most... So basically, finance, you can split up into two, especially Series A, you can split it into two larger functions. One is operational finance, accounting, and the other one is strategic finance that evolves around mostly financial planning analysis, FP&A. Nowadays, you don't call it controlling anymore, I guess. Uh, Well, controlling is like handy. It's a German word. It doesn't really (laughs) (laughs) exist. Okay. Okay. so yeah, it's it, to, in in the English speaking speaking world, it's always been fp <laughs> Okay, Okay, no, no I,
0: I just sometimes hear, hear different terms.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's still a thing in Germany. You can't you, you can't get rid of it. But uh, yeah, it's that's, so that's called fp a for the for reference. Um, so and and they are basically two vastly vastly different skill sets. Right? you shouldn't get an fp person to do accounting they'll get bored and you don't want an accountant to get to do fp a because they will think about your unique economics fundamentally different um, than an fp a person would. And also C- it's have a
0: different time horizon, right? Accounting is more towards the past and um, FP&A is more looking into the future.
1: That is a way of looking at it. Although an fp a team will also always look towards the past, but assess it with, uh, from... from from a perspective that includes the future impact, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but they will Not always also think. look at actuals, of course.
0: Also, accounting or operational finance is way
1: more on processes oriented, right? Um, like getting maybe. A... Actually, both are also FP&A has to be process oriented, right? You can't reinvent the wheel every every day, right? So yeah, you have to you have to agree on a certain terminology also with your data team, and and this FP&A is probably the more complex function to start with. Because um, there's also a lot of um, there's a lot of uh, build up work to be done. Because you're working with a data team that's also going to be very new in a Series A company, um, you will work with founders that have probably thought about metrics in a different way than um, your financials did. And and here's probably the first thing where it makes sense to have the two work closely together, although they're different. Um, when you look and when you look into the future, so let's look at the probably most basic financial KPI, revenue. Right. So depending on who you talk to in the company, if it's the data team, if it's the founder, if it's the salesperson, if it's the FP&A person and the accounting person, they might give you five different answers for what what they consider to be revenue. Now, at some point, and and nobody likes to hear that post Series A. At, at the end of the day, the accounting person is right because that is what your auditors... The, the definition of revenue that the, your accounting person is going to give you uh, will be the one that your auditor is going to hold you accountable to. And your board isn't going to notice. They will, they will swallow whatever revenue figure that you give them, but when your audited revenues uh, are 10% lower than what you've been reporting... You're in for a very unpleasant conversation. It's always one that can be explained, but at the end of the day, when you talk about revenue, the accountant is always right, um, and it makes sense, therefore, to agree on a on a definition of revenue between the data team, the FPA team, the founders, and the accounting team very early on, and <laughs> take the number that the accountant wants. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't track other figures, right? Like um, gross bookings or uh, revenues before discounts, sales sales before discounts. But ultimately, the revenue number should what you call revenue should be what ends up um, on the top of your financial statements later on. Um, and so this is this is just one example of where it makes sense to have very very close alignment between a number of different teams.
0: The definition of revenue. You said that um there is an high importance on aligning how to define
1: revenue, right? As, as with any financial KPI.
0: Um, and this and also not, in Series A, you would say?
1: So you don't have to do it in Series A. Um, at TaxFix, we had vastly different definitions of, of, of revenue and sales um, for, for a number of years. It's just if, if you do it early, it's much less work than if you do it later. Uh, There's actually many examples of what's less work when you do it early stage, even though it might appear to be over the top. Um, Having a multinational accounting system, something that we implemented very early on at six, something I did during my first five months. And it was so cheap compared to what other startups pay uh, if they implement an ERP system or a larger accounting system post-series C um and and also there's there's no right or wrong answer it really again depends on the business model if if you have commerce and you have actually physical goods that you ship you should definitely have an erp system as early as possible Mm -hmm. um if you have a software business you can probably ipo with uh with your financial in excel to, uh, to overstretch it a bit um so it really, really depends on, on on the size and the nature of the business.
0: Um, and, and when would you grow the team of, a, um, let's say you have the fb a arm and the accounting arm, and w- when you go to Series D, for instance, usually you have maybe a headcount of, I don't know, 500 to 1,000 employees. Um, how should the finance team look like then? And how would you grow it over time?
1: Yeah, it also... <laughs> So there's no um there's there's no right or wrong answer when it comes to size of the finance team. So TaxX, for instance, we had completely outsourced accounts receivable um to, to an external service provider, which was a great decision because accounts receivable we never had to worry about. That is typically a team that if you have it in-house, it would have easily doubled our headcount on the finance team. Right? Mm-hmm. So I can't give you a number because it depends on which parts of, of your financial operations you have outsourced. If you have a B2B business, on the other hand, where you basically just have a few blue-chip clients that you might have to chase every once in a while, you can probably make even more revenue than TaxFix does, but um, with much fewer people um, taking care of the bills. So it really, really depends on your business model. Um, So I suppose what you have to do post-series A is, first of all, you have to build up two functions. One is the strategic finance FP&A function and the operational finance accounting function. And then the challenge is to find people that do heavy lifting, but also have the mental bandwidth um, to uh, to advise and be a business partner to to the founders and the rest of the business, and that also extends to you as a finance finance manager, um, that. It's basically two full-time jobs in terms of mental capacity to worry about building a team and building systems and building procedures and aligning them with the rest of the business and having that high-level view of what your unit economics and your financials look like and being a business partner and advisor to the founders. So these are basically, yeah, they're they're two full-time roles already um, and, and you basically have to fulfill them both in a way. It definitely makes more sense to invest. I believe it makes more more sense to invest um, early on in building structures, um, so you actually have something to build on and to advise on. That'd be that'd be my prioritization. When you look at the team, um, I think that's probably it's probably a challenge most managers and fast growing companies have. You have to find some someone who does. Who completes the tasks that are required on a day-to-day basis, but who also have the capacity to build up a team themselves. Right. So the question is: Do you hire a manager very early on, or do you hire an, uh, a promising, um, a promising, talented uh, individual contributor? And one mistake that I've seen people make is to hire really good individual contributors. And promising them a management role 18 months from now. And that would work in terms of your org chart. But it might not work in terms of having that person. Because that person's growth trajectory might just look incredibly different. And maybe 18 months from now, they still need another 12 months to grow into a leadership role. And then they shouldn't be in charge of a team. So my biggest advice would be very careful with making promises to uh especially junior people that start uh, in terms of promising management roles um so i would probably hire a really really good individual contributor to start with in the in the very early beginning and then see and monitor and coach them very very closely if they have the potential to build up a team among themselves or whether they're they're more suited to stay in the individual contributor role and then hire a manager next to them.
0: And at, at some point you also need to maybe go into fundraising and early on, it's maybe way more founder driven, but at some point I think the finance team gets way more involved because I also saw roles like investor relations at some point or um, people doing, um or being way more involved in fundraising. I think you also um were heavily involved in, in series C Series D rounds and yes. look like.
1: But I supported and I wasn't an external facing. So and, and I would always refuse such a role, unless it were my own company. Um because up until very shortly before before an IPO, um, investors would usually want to talk to founders. Uh, every once in a while, I get a request from founders that want that want me to help them raise their Series, series A round or even B round. And I always refuse that because I say, this is, I can help you with your spreadsheets, I can help you with your presentation, but you have to be the one that does the outreach. No one's going to invest in me. Right? <laughs> Everyone's going to invest in you as a founder. And if you don't take fundraising seriously and you can fully own it, uh, no one's ever going to invest. You can't outsource that. Um, so yes, you should have a strong finance team um, that will support you in your fundraising, but no finance team in the world is going to do fundraising for you. Not not before an IPO roadshow. There's no reason um, to rock up with any finance executive as a founder. Your CTO is going to be much more interesting because your investor is going to invest in technology, not in financials. Makes sense.
0: In case you have any feedback or anything you want to share with me, please Send me an email on thomas at peoplewise.com or hit me up on LinkedIn. And in case you really enjoy the show, please subscribe. I would really appreciate it. And let's say now the finance team is established, business as usual is running, you're efficient and um, then you need to start get more collaborative and maybe proactive overall in forecasting and so on, and at some point other departments are involved, and I name one, for instance, the people team, Mm -hmm. when it especially comes to headcount planning, also the managers. Um, And I see that all companies that go through that growth journey, they have problems with headcount planning at some stage. Um, Maybe we dive a bit into the headcount planning piece from a financial perspective, also from a talent acquisition perspective and from a manager perspective. So how, how how do you see headcount planning evolving over Series A to Series D, let's say, from a financial perspective?
1: I don't, first of all, because headcount planning is just counting people. It's really not that hard. But why does it go wrong so often? Um, in what I've seen go wrong in the past is, is basically misalignment of different data points in the, in the people journey. Right? So the question is, if you have 50 people, you know everybody, and you can basically calculate all the exceptions that you may have in your head. If you at any given time ask a manager to do headcount planning, and you don't give them an exact data set. they will all have different reference points of how many people they have in their team because there is people who are on extended sick leave who are on paternal leave uh paternity leave who have not started yet who have terminated already um who are at who will go into seventy uh, five percent seventy five percent part- time next month so it's a, it's a different question to start with are you are you working with heads or are you working with FTEs? Um are you working role-based? And up to which point do you count roles that have already submitted their resignations? Um, do you count the actual resignation or do you count the effect of the resignation? Um and do you count somebody who has already signed but hasn't started yet? Um and when you start the process and you finish the process two weeks later, it's different. The time references have already shifted. Yeah. So across the organization you're talking about vastly vastly different data sets um if you don't if, if you don't get that meticulously right. Um and yeah and, and at at the end of the day it's it's not really a process question so much as it is a as it is a data data question. So the question how many people are in your company at any given time can be answered in vastly different ways depending on who you ask when you take a look um and how you how you cut your data set
0: yeah exactly especially the dimension dimensions on on Mm -hmm. how how you plan right how do you how do you cut an org um what is a department versus maybe a division a group a country (laughs) a team a mission a a sub team (laughs) (laughs) especially for instance what, what i see right there is sales, and sales maybe plans more by region. Yeah? And then there is the tech and product team, and they plan more by, as you said, mission, or they give some fancy um abstract term. One works on platform, one works on the actual product, one works on another piece of the product, and so on and so forth.
1: And then you and have the, clients that plans by entity.
0: Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and for hiring or for talent acquisition, this um is usually a problem because what I see that talent acquisition teams are set up more sophisticated um, and more capable in terms of delivery and the standard processes that they're running. Because if you are at a stage of maybe 150, 250, 300 people, you probably hired 500 into the organization until then, right? So there is a lot of proof of concept that the recruiting process works. But early on, when you just have 100, 150 people, the whole people infrastructure with the whole systems, as I said, how to collect data, it's not complex. Yeah. It's usually a spreadsheet or a simple tool and that's it. But when you get bigger and have more dimensions in terms of markets, countries, departments and change, um, that is not happening in parallel, but okay, now there is a new CTO hired and the CTO is restructuring. Ah, now we have a new sales leader and the sales leader is restructuring. Things get lost. And yeah. the original definitions and the original assumptions um, less reflect reality. And at some point, you get then ad hoc requests and the organization faces a peak in terms of what's needed to deliver. Usually, Q1, after the budget planning ends, Um, and then the talent acquisition team is overwhelmed. Um, What do you think can managers, finance teams, and talent acquisition or people teams do to
1: prevent this? So I think the first one, my first order of business as a founder of building my org would be to have one person in the beginning uh, take care of both the uh, financial side and um, and the uh, at least the people operations, possibly also the talent, actually also the talent acquisition side, um, learning and development, organ culture—that is something that you can have a specialist on. I think that that can even make sense. But from the purely operational functions, talent acquisition, people operations, um, it really makes sense to have these processes very, very closely interlinked, and if possible, set up um, set up jointly. A um, very simple example, if you um, if you hire somebody, they'll talk to someone in the talent acquisition team. They will collect certain data points like the position, the salary, the name, the address, um, the stock options. Um, and they will then pass that over to the people team. And then if these processes don't work well together, the people team is going to ask the candidate exactly that same question again. Um, and then at some point, the candidate wants something from the finance team Client teamworks again in a different system, they're gonna ask the same questions again. And let's not get even started with IT. Right? Um, so it really makes sense to have these, to have this entire journey of where where does an employee or a candidate interact with a company and how does the company process the data and how does it how does it store them and and um and classify them to set that up um sort of from a holistic perspective. Um that is That is probably the most important piece, I would say. Um, And the same goes for dimensions, right? So uh, I've worked in a company where this was set up jointly together and then the people in the finance team had exactly the same dimensions, right? There were different departments, right? And at some point, people team got separated and they came up with these entirely different dimensions. At, at the end of the day, the department dimension still existed. It was called differently. It's just created so much confusion. Um, and, and I think having this, also the tools and different um, uh, across the different um, department set up in a joint way, right? You set the applicant tracking system that you set it up in a way that it directly feeds into the uh, HRIS. is. And the HRIS feeds into payroll into your payroll provider in a way, and the payroll provider actually uh, supplies an export at the end of every month um, that uh, that integrates directly with the finance system, so you don't actually have to manually book payroll. Um, that really makes sense, but it won't work if you have a different manager for each of these teams. Um, and one other thing that I think can really really help is. Something that we also do in in accounting is is a monthly close, right? At some point, we just say, this is the month. Everything that has come in, uh, every receipt that has come in until today will be booked in the past month, and everything that comes in afterwards is going to be booked in the next month. And to have that in the people operations team and just say, we're going to close the month today, All all the terminations and resignations that happen until now will be counted in the past month. Everything that happens in the future is going to go into the next month. So at the end of this month, we had exactly this many people. And, and if I look back on the, in the past and I say, how, how many people did we have at the end of October 2021? I just look in a, some PDF that's stored somewhere. And I can say, this is how many people we had. And the definition of how that's counted never changes. Um, and yeah, this is, this is the way the finance team does it. And this is also something that the people team could do and it would really, really help, uh, in just getting, uh, being able to reproduce the same information over and over again.
0: Yes, definitely. And what's now next for you, Sebastian?
1: Um, what's next for me is, um, I'm going to, uh, build out, um, my, my own company, um, that will, like i said uh help people um help uh companies grow finance and people teams um post u s a um I will do that with hopefully a few more uh a few more consultants um that that work closely together with me and um that I will do that for um, more than just one client
0: yes nice. and who is a guest did you know I don't know yet who I should interview next
1: So I don't know you should interview next um You've already talked to Marie from Taxfix, right? Yeah, Um, she was great. Um, Have you talked to Aki from Taxfix yet? Yes. Also, Jesus, Um. (laughs) you
0: you can also just once you have something in mind, um, send me. I will.
1: Then, then I can always um, uh, can maybe put you in touch with Lexi from Finoa, who's also fantastic.
0: Yeah, maybe. Cool. Sebastian, it was really nice um, talking to you. A lot of value here, um, especially on the finance side on how to ramp everything up. So it was a pleasure talking to you and have a great weekend.
1: Thanks, Thomas. You too.